Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I am one half of your host, Paul. And I'm the other half, Jamie. And thank you for joining us again for another episode this week, and uh, actually one of our episodes this week. Yeah. We're, we're uploading two a week. Right. Is uh, what we're the schedule that we're trying to adhere yeah. to. Yeah, and we I guess we need to kind of just point out that we're trying to release one episode earlier during the week right and the second episode later on in the week because yeah. when we first started out obviously we were uploading two on the same day yeah so we're trying to spread them out a little bit right because it does take time to you know once we record we have to edit Mm-hmm. And editing takes sometimes two to three times longer than the actual episode is. Yeah, because we mess up a lot. We, it's not only, <laughs> it's not so much that we mess up a lot. It's it's that we want to make sure that everything is it sounds good. And so, in short pieces of each episode, we listen to it sometimes three, four times. Right, but I think that we don't have to make it as perfect as we make it. Right. I mean, because if we ever do a live episode we don't want people to be like oh my god well i mean that's true i mean i get what you're saying but at the same time i want us to be you know one i want us to eventually get to a point where we're as good or almost as good as some of the others that are out there um you know we listen to a lot of other podcasts you know and i've started you know, my wife got me into listening to podcasts, and the first one I ever listened to was a Morbid podcast mm-hmm. with Ash and Elena, and of course, I was hooked, Yeah, you know, listening to the stories and things, uh, but since then, I've kind of branched out and, and kind of broadened my horizons um, it, in, a <laughs> in searching for our podcast on different platforms. I actually came across another one. Uh, that's called Disturbed. It's just called Disturbed. And um, he does a really good job there mm-hmm. on that one. I found out that 2020 also has, they do their episodes in a podcast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's other others that I've listened to. Red Handed is another one. And uh, they're, they're pretty good, too. I like to listen to them. They're pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, they're all great at doing this yeah but you got to think about it not all of them but the majority of them like have backgrounds in recording or journalism and you know stuff like that well obviously 2020 people do yeah journalists (laughs) but yeah i have a degree in accounting and you have a degree in construction management right right we are not journalists. We are not, and we're not professional podcasters. No. Um, I've only done a few, a handful of speeches in my, <laughs> when I was in college, uh, did a few speeches and stuff, and so it took me a little time to get used to this. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm just saying that as we grow, hopefully, mm-hmm. right now we have a continuous roughly... Uh, 40 40 followers that subscribe yeah that are actually subscribed right and um and and they're very loyal they are and we love them and and we appreciate and we love everybody that comes and stops by and listens even if you're not a subscriber right um we do have others that yeah that do listen 
they may not be subscribers. I right. mean, we have roughly over 2,000 mm-hmm. listens now. So, anyway, Which is amazing. It is it's in awesome. In my opinion. It is great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's humbling. It is. That, that we have people that listen to us. Um, yeah, because even though I, I love doing this, I, I think to myself, like, God, are we? I wouldn't think that people would like to hear, well, not necessarily your voice, because you do have a good speaking voice. But, no, I don't. But my voice, like, you know. No. See, we always think of ourselves as not having, uh, you know, a, a radio-style voice. I sound country. It's okay. As heck. I do it's try right. to correct it some. It's okay. You know, but sometimes another okay. another podcast that we've listened to, uh, Texas Crime and Wine. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. Uh, they have that Texas accent. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's not it's not a bad thing, obviously. No. Everybody has their accents. Even Ash and Elena, every now and again you'll hear that Boston yeah. accent. And I'm not trying to make fun of the Boston accent, oh, believe no. me. Um, but you'll hear it come out. Mm-hmm. And I, I listened to another one. Uh, the The couple was from New York, mm-hmm. and you can hear his. I mean, it sounds straight out of Jersey. Yeah, you know. So I love accents. I, I think they're I very interesting. Absolutely. So we have ours. You know, when I get angry, uh, oh is is when my Cajun my Cajun coon ass accent comes out. But for you know, which I, I love, just not when he's angry. <laughs> right. Yeah. But. You know, I, I had it when I was a littler. Obviously, uh, went to college, and my English to teach my English professor actually stated that she was gonna uh, beat that out of me, so to speak. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, um, everybody that does listen to to us, we really appreciate you guys. We really appreciate the uh, you guys coming back. We appreciate the ones that do subscribe. And, uh, and do get the notifications of when we upload. So thank you very much. Uh, without you guys, you know, we wouldn't have anything. Right. And so share it with your friends, your family. Get our name out there. We, we definitely want to take this to another level. Find our Facebook page, Criminally Disturbed, our Instagram, Criminally Disturbed Podcast, and share it. Mm-hmm. Share it out there and uh, get, get our name out there. So we have been dabbling with merch with uh, some merchandise we've made some shirts mm-hmm. uh, we've made some koozies and things and so um it's not perfect don't get me wrong uh we're still kind of playing with the designs and things like this but we may be you know uploading some pictures very soon of what we have we're kind of dabbling with some different color shirts right because right now we're doing it ourselves because at this point where we're at right now we can't justify the cost of like having a professional service do it right so we bought some things that enabled us to do it ourselves and so we're playing with it we have some a couple of designs out there they're very kind of plain if you will but hey we did make some dinosaur yeah t-shirts the other night right because yesterday we went and saw jurassic world dominion yeah our took nine, the kids yeah our soon-to-be nine-year-old the one yeah. with autism right that dinosaurs are his what's the word his focus focus like folk us yeah so 
those of you that don't know autistic children or autistic people, especially those with Asperger's, they tend to latch on to certain things and they focus on those things. And when it comes to those things, it grabs their attention in every uh, moment of their life and, and they learn about those things and they tend to be pretty good experts in those things. And he is. And he is. And so during the movie, he's sitting, uh, so the, the, the youngest is sitting on my right, and then on the other side of him is uh, the nine-year-old. And um, he, at, at every dinosaur that shows up in the movie, he reaches over across his little brother and taps me on the arm, and I have to lean over to hear him, and he tells me what each of the dinosaurs are. And not only that, but this is the sixth movie. This is from Jurassic Park 1, 2, and 3. This is the third Jurassic World movie. Right. So this is the sixth. Do you remember in the very first Jurassic Park movie when the guy uh, is, is trying to get off of the island and he is trying to steal some of the DNA, uh, DNA mm -hmm. of each one of the dinosaurs and he puts them in a false-bottomed barbasol can which is shaving cream do you remember that mm -hmm. so that was not ever mentioned in any of the other ones previous to no. the one that's out now and it was just in that and it scene. was just in that scene that's right yeah well actually it's in another scene is but it? it's two scenes um, so he the guy's handed when he meets his contact he's handed the barbasol can and he unscrews it and oh yeah but then when he actually steals it and is trying to get correct. away and then the the law the Lophosaurus. Yep, gets him. Gets him. That's right. Yeah. So that is briefly shown in this movie. Dominion. The, in, the, in the newest Dominion movie. And he literally reaches over and touches me and he asks me, do you know where that's from? <laughs> Somebody's bathroom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I said, actually, yes, I do. Uh, and he proceeded to tell me that's from the Jurassic Park movie, and I, I was like, yeah. "The boy is smart. He is sharp, and yeah. so he does not miss a beat. He does not miss a detail." Yeah. But uh, it was a great time. We had a great outing with the family. Uh, it was a good movie. Uh, the storyline could have been better. Actually, it probably could have been broken up into three different movies, I think. It probably could have. It's, yeah. it's They tried to, since this is going to be the last one, they tried to cram a lot of stuff into it to kind yeah. of wrap it up. Right. But, I mean, other than that, I still recommend for everybody to go see it in the theater. Yeah, in so the you, theaters. Yes. We it, saw it in XD. XD. It was, it was pretty good yeah. to see those on the big screen and things, and so... We're, we're going to end up probably buying the movie when it comes out on streaming services. And, of course, the new dinosaurs that were introduced. Yeah. Um, he has a birthday next month. Yeah. And anytime you ask him birthday or Christmas, what do you want? Dinosaurs. Yeah. And he has to pick them out because he likes ones that he don't already have. Right. And it's getting harder every year yeah. to find some that he don't have. So, luckily, yeah. this movie introduced new ones. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's uh, that was our day yesterday. Yeah. Had a great time. It's been a long time since I had movie popcorn. That shit was good. It was. It was good. Yeah. It was real good. And for those, okay, real quick, and then we need to get on this because yeah. we're just talking about ourselves. Right. For those that like to go to the theater and you know how they have like the 
sprinkle stuff that you can buy to put on your popcorn. It's like four bucks yeah. for like a little thing. Right. My thing is you can buy the same stuff, Walmart, Brookshire's, whatever grocery store you have around you for like two something. Right. Buy it and sneak it in your purse. That's I what say, I did. I wouldn't say sneak. I mean, you know. Sneak it pro- in your purse. They probably wouldn't care, you know, because they yes, might they, not they well, might not have the flavor that you want. Well, the flavor I get they have. So, well, I know. I'm just yeah. saying. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. So we did that. We did that thing. Okay. Okay. Enough about us. Enough about us. You're not here to hear about that. You are here to hear to hear a case that I have prepared for you today. Yay! We are going to talk about uh, two different people here. Oh, um, they're re- they're not related, but they're in the same case. So I'm going to start out by talking about. Little Miss Devin Dunover. Now, this happens in um, New Philadelphia, Ohio. It's Yeah, I know I had to look that up and make sure yeah. it wasn't in Philly. Well, there is a New Philadelphia in Philly. Wow. In, in Philadelphia. Okay. Or in Pencil- <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania. Uh, but this was in Ohio. On Saturday, June the 27th of 1998, uh, Devin's mother, her name is Lori, and her brother, uh, Dylan, are all at their apartment building in New Philadelphia, Ohio. And they are basically, Lori's getting ready to go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she goes uh, upstairs to kind of change her clothes and stuff like this. And Devin, this is about about one thirty ish you know, in the afternoon. This is a, a Saturday. So she goes upstairs. Devin goes outside to play for a minute. And Dylan, her brother, stays inside. About 20 minutes goes by. Uh, Lori, her mother, uh, comes downstairs, and she's getting ready to go to the grocery store, and she starts asking, you know, where's where's Devin? And Dylan says, well, she passed by me. She went outside. And so they, they go outside. They start calling for her, and she's not answering. And so they, they kind of start looking around for her, and, they you know, they can't find her and stuff. And so... Her mother starts to panic, mm-hmm. you know, and so they start actually going around to the around the entire complex, and she actually gets her in a car. She drives over to a place, a house that she normally a friend lives. She normally goes over there. No luck there, so she comes back to the place, and there's a wooded area right behind their apartment, just a small acreage wood patch and stuff. So they start to go back there and uh, didn't really see anything. They just, they couldn't find her anywhere. Mm. They saw a young boy that was playing or, or coming to the area from a friend's house, and they she even asked him, can you help us try to find Devin? She's missing, and, and she said, I'll, I'll even give you $5 if you just help us. And uh, the little boy, I think his, his name was Anthony, uh, he says, yeah, sure. So, you know, they were all searching around and stuff like this, and uh, they can't, they had no sign of her at all cannot find her anywhere there's a storm coming in and so they have to kind of abandon the search because it's a pretty Ugh. decent sized storm right it's eight o'clock p.m mm. from from around 2 p.m to eight o'clock and it's eight o'clock when her mother caught contacts the police okay i'm not judging but i believe i would have done that a lot sooner a lot sooner so we're gonna we're gonna touch on that later on oh that makes my heart hurt 
So she contacts the police, and there's not a whole lot that they can do during the storm. Right. But I just want to take this time to kind of, you know, it's a storm. If there's any evidence out there whatsoever, it's gone. Right. It's pretty much gone. Even, I understand that the police didn't want to look during a storm, Mm because, I mean, but me as a parent, my ass is out there. Sure. Looking in a storm. Oh. I don't give a shit. Uh Uh-uh. No. This is in June. You yeah. know, so it's hot outside, mm-hmm. and so storms are pretty rampant during the summer yeah. months and things. Heat lightning and things like this. Storms will come up out of nowhere. Right. So I'm assuming that this was a pretty strong storm. Well, the next day, they launch a massive search. About 400 volunteers come out. Wow. And they start searching everywhere. They actually go into the patch of woods, and there's, you know, they're all through there. So... There's some volunteers. There's uh, some off-duty EMTs, some off-duty police officers. Lori had given the the search party a description of her picture mm-hmm. and things and said that she was last seen wearing a green shirt and red shorts. And so I think there was a, a few people that uh, did the voluntary search that initially had said that, you know, a green shirt, that's going to be kind of hard to find, especially in the woods. Yeah, you know, with green be, leaves. Right. And, yeah. Exactly, because it's summertime. You know, everything's green. Yeah. So uh, they were like, man, that's going to be tough, you know, but those red shorts ought to stand out. So there was an off-duty EMT personnel, a woman, that had joined the search, and her and a few other people had come across this fallen tree. And they were like, oh, my, and it looked like it had actually recently fell. And they mm-hmm. were like, oh, my goodness. You know, they they were like, could that tree have fallen on her? You know, so they kind of, you know, looked around the tree and stuff and did not find anything. But as they started kind of moving away from the tree, they noticed a briar bush. And something that told this uh, off-duty EMT personnel to look over to her left, and she saw red. Mm. So she initially didn't think of what she was going to find or anything, but she kind of got over the bushes and into the briars and found the body of five-year-old Devin Dunifer. Mm-hmm. Now, she initially said, Oh my God, contact police or, you know, call 911. I found her and things. And so everybody kind of was ordered out of the area. Yeah. And police got in there and they were able to recover the body of, of uh, small Devin. Uh, police initially told Lori that Devin had basically fallen out of a tree and broken her neck. Now, later on, the coroner would tell police that Devin was murdered. Oh, okay. She had been stabbed seven times in the neck, oh. partially severing her carotid artery. There was an injury to the top of her head and multiple contusions on her body, mm-hmm. but there was no sign of any sexual assault, which is, which is great. I'm glad that right. she wasn't sexually assaulted. I mean, eventually they had to tell... Her mother, mother this, right. you know, and I'm, I can't even imagine police coming to me and telling me, okay, first of all, she fell out of a tree and broke her neck. Right. I, I think I could actually live with that. Right. You know? Because be that's like, an okay, accident that could happen to anybody. Anybody. But then to come and rock her world with... Right. Oh. No, she was murdered. Oh, wait, what? Right. Now, here we go. We need to start trying to find some suspects. We need to start trying to find some witnesses. What happened? Right. What happened? So, obviously, the 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 natural suspects are the mother, the, the mother, brother. the brother, 
Um, her father, which wasn't in the picture, they, he didn't live with her, you know, but they, he was questioned. Mm -hmm. The mother's ex-boyfriend. And there was a registered sex offender living in the area. So, you know, right. obviously. Yeah. Um, and then the young boy that Lori paid to help, you know, search. Even he was considered a witness. His name was Anthony Harris. Well, police honed in on Anthony. Hmm. Um, How old was Anthony? Anthony, no, that's exactly what I was fixing to tell you. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, Anthony Harris was 12 years old. Oh, shit. Now... Sounds like Jesse. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so, initially, the story that was given to police is is that, you know, Anthony helped Lori and Dylan basically look, and, and Lori paid him $5, and he was very helpful. Mm -hmm. He knew Devin. Uh, they knew him. They knew Anthony and stuff, and they, they didn't play together because they were so different in age, but they knew of each other and things. And so nothing was ever said ill will towards Anthony or anything like that. But Lori had told police that she had noticed when she ran into Anthony, he was coming out of the woods. Oh. And so that kind of sparked police interest. And they were like, okay, well, they contacted Anthony's mother, Cynthia Harris, and said, can you please, can you and Anthony come down to the police station? And, uh, you know, for questioning and stuff. And, you know, of course, they had nothing to hide. Right. So, of course, she agreed. So, Thomas Vaughn is the police chief of a nearby town called Millersburg. Now, Thomas actually knows Cynthia Harris. They, they know each other. They're not, like, romantically involved or anything, but they know each other. Enough for, for her to be comfortable with him questioning Anthony. Yeah. Okay. So they come down there, they put Anthony in an interrogation room, and there's obviously a one-sided, you know, window there, one-sided mirror, and um, that's where Cynthia is. She's on the other side of that mirror. So she can see everything that's going on inside this room, but she can't hear what's oh. going on inside the room. Okay. So Thomas Vaughn is in the room with, in the interrogation room with Anthony. Now, because <laughs> I thought, and you're probably going to touch on this, minors, I don't know if they have to have an adult present, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, since she couldn't hear what was being said, that's not really an adult present in my mind. That's exactly true. And so, the other thing is, is that he has a right to an attorney. True. And he was Mirandized. Okay. Okay, but did he really understand what that meant? I mean... Well, we're going to get into that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Cynthia is is now brought in. This is... Uh, Anthony is interrogated for 80 minutes. Mm. And again, Cynthia hasn't heard any of this. But then she's brought into the room for some reason. And it was later said that it was because Anthony asked for her. Mm-hmm. As she's brought into the room, she's told that Anthony has confessed to the murder of Devin Donover. Oh. So his mother, Cynthia, turns to him and says, what? What? What, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? And, he, and Anthony looks at her and says, I, I, I didn't do this. Oh. Right in front of Chief Vaughn. At that moment. And, yeah. 
Go ahead. Oh, yeah. She should have been like, shut up. Mm -hmm. Don't say nothing else. I want an attorney. Well, she did say, if you didn't do this, then why did you tell him you did this? And he just said, I don't know. I was scared. So at this moment, obviously, they have this taped confession, Mm. which we're going to get into later on. The Tuscarawas County District Attorney, Amanda Spies Bornhorst, listened to the taped confession and ordered the new Philadelphia police officer, Jeffrey Urban, who was heading the murder investigation, to arrest Anthony Mm. based on this information. Obviously, this thing's going to go to trial. Yeah. And Amanda Bornhorst uh, is going to be leading it as the as the prosecutor. And Anthony's attorney, his name is Torin Hale. Mm-hmm. He's the defense attorney. There was a lot of public defense attorneys that worked. I say there's a lot. There was like seven mm-hmm. or so. And uh, he was given this case. And so he knew that he had a road. Yeah. An uphill battle here. Okay. So he meets with Anthony. And he hears what he has to say, and he listens to the tape confession, and they're just there's just one thing that just keeps standing out to him, and it was one thing that he was going to definitely bring up in court, but it was the fact that everything in the confession really seemed coerced. So, like the detective was asking leading questions. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess you could say that because. You know, none of the details about the murder, how she was murdered, how many times she was stabbed, that she was stabbed, Mm -hmm. you know, or things, that wasn't made public. Mm -hmm. And so it just seems like there were some details that were really kind of given. And I'm assuming that it probably never really came out of Anthony's mouth, oh, yeah, I stabbed her so many times. I'm assuming it was more like the detective said, and did you stab her this many times? He asked before Anthony even knew about stabbing or anything like that, he asked Anthony, how many times did you stab her? Yeah, that's leading. And he initially said twice. Which was a lie. Which, which was, was wrong. not right, right per the evidence, obviously. So when the trial began, It was January of 1999. The case topped the front page of the local paper, which was the Times Reporter, for days. Mm -hmm. And was the lead story on local television in the Ohio area. Ohio, however, unlike most states, does not protect the privacy of juveniles uh, in criminal proceedings. Now, this is very important, and it also comes into play a lot, okay, Judges have the discretion to decide the public's access also. So Judge Linda Kate actually was going to be presiding over this. And one of the other other things to really kind of note is that in Ohio, juveniles do not get a jury trial. Oh. This is going to be done by a judge and judge alone. So Judge Kate actually gave the press full access to the courtroom and she also uh, let them take photographs and she also let the trial be broadcast over radio oh yeah so everybody can hear you know what's going on they can hear the evidence as it's being presented they can hear motions and things like this um judge kate uh, basically was going to be the ultimate decider in anthony's fate 
there was already kind of some tension there between Taryn Hale, the defense attorney, and the judge, and the prosecutor. Before the trial began, Hale had moved to disqualify Judge Kate, claiming that she had shown bias against Anthony. Now, basically, the Ohio Supreme Court Justice uh, Thomas Moyer, who considers these types of motions for removal of a judge, he denied Hale's request. So there was some tension right there that had already kind of built up. Now, Hale's and Spies, uh, we're going to call her Spies. Her name is Amanda Spies Bornhorst. Bornhorst, I'm sorry if you're listening. I'm sorry, but that name is really hard for me to pronounce. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going to just call her Spies. Their relationship, uh, he had run against her for the county prosecutor in 1996, and the loss was... It kind of still stung him a little bit. Right. You know, he was still kind of bitter about it that, you know, he lost to her. He was salty. Yeah, he was a little salty. Now, Spy's main evidence against Anthony was what? I mean, what do we really have? We don't have any DNA evidence. We don't have any witnesses. We don't have any physical evidence. Uh, We don't have a murder weapon. We don't have really anything other than this confession. Coerced confession. Well... Was it coerced? So uh, she presented testimony by Devin's stepmother and a few children who claimed that the girl was afraid of Anthony and that he had hit her at some point. Uh, One girl claimed that once when they were playing, Anthony said that he would kill Devin, which this is testimony from a child. I mean... Is it reliable, you know? I don't. (laughs) That's a slippery slope. It is. Yeah. It is. So, look, I went back and forth on this about this other stuff that she's got, like these witnesses and things that uh, trying to establish a character, Yeah. you know, in a bad character at that. Yeah, because, I mean, young children can easily be coerced to say, yeah, you know, you need to get up there and say he's bad and yeah. this, this, and this. That's and, right. I mean, so yeah. During the trial, Hale again moved for a mistrial, and for the second time asked Justice Moyer to disqualify Kate. Hale argued uh, in an affidavit that before the defense had even started its case, Judge Kate had walked into a defense conference and pushed for the case to be resolved to avoid having some children testify as witnesses. Now, Judge Kate actually came into court at one point and and kind of said that before the court started in front of everybody and said, you know, I really do think that Anthony wants this to be over with. And in order to get that done, he just needs to plead guilty. <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. Without any consultation whatsoever, she came to this and came out in court and stated this. That's very unethical. Uh, Yeah. And for her to say he just needs to go ahead and plead guilty, she already hasn't made up in her mind that he's guilty. Right. Bitch. But she asserted in court papers that she had not prejudged Anthony's guilt. She's a lie. Chief Justice Moyer rejected Hale's request. Come on. 
I find nothing in the record that remotely demonstrates a predisposition against Anthony. Did he not hear that comment that she made? I, I, yeah. Well, so, then his ass is predispositioned also. Douchebag. Right. Two days after Moyer's ruling in February of 1999, Judge Kate rejected a defense motion to suppress Anthony's confession. So basically what he was doing, what um, Hale is doing here is trying to get the confession inadmissible because he believes that it was coerced Mm -hmm. and it was taken illegally. Yeah. And so Judge Kate says, uh, no, it's going to be admissible. Uh, She ruled that the police weren't even required to give Anthony a Miranda warning. She reasoned that the boy was not in custody when he was interrogated at the police station because he was never told he was in custody and could leave at any time, which is actually true. He was told that he could walk right out the door if he felt uncomfortable. However, but since he wasn't in custody, could they, I don't know how they could use that confession because I thought like, say somebody confessed, then mm-hmm. they have to come back and read them the rights and then record it and get them to say the confession again. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I could be totally wrong about all that. He could be told you can leave at any time. Your mother's right there behind that window, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden they get into the details of the case and he forgets. But did he really feel that he could leave at any I time? I don't know. See, I mean, Anthony, this is a child. So Cynthia was interviewed later on, you know, and, and she stated that Anthony respected police. And right. He, he did not fear them or anything like that, or, or I'm going to say he didn't fear them. He knew to do what police asked to do. Right. Asked him to do, because, you know, I mean, that's what you teach your kids. The police are the authority figure, and if they ask you to do something, you need to do it. Right. So you follow orders from And the he police. probably felt that if I get up and walk out, they might see it as him being rude uh-huh. or automatically, oh, he's guilty. Right. Exactly. Okay. Now, for Anthony's defense, Hale was basically putting together a lineup of some of the top experts in the nation. A sociology professor at the University of California at Berkeley, who is one of the leading experts in false confessions, testified that he believed Anthony's confession was coerced and false. Mm. Forensic expert Dr. Charles Petty, the former chief medical examiner of Dallas testified that he was sure that Devin's body had been moved. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Which I guess would account for the abrasions on the body that well, you spoke about. So we're going to, we're going to, okay. We're going to get into the crime scene. Okay. And, and what should have been seen and what wasn't seen. Okay. Okay. You're jumping ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven of the local searchers insisted that they had thoroughly examined the small wooded area and had not seen a body, oh. especially that briar brush area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're going to get into the confession. So Taryn Hale started listening to the confession tape. Okay, and he started kind of noting some of the some of the things that were stated in the confession, 
and he really was harping on these things, okay? Um, and this is how the confession went. After making uh, some small talk, Chief Vaughn suggested to Anthony that the police had evidence linking him to Devin's murder, such as finding Devin's blood on his clothes and his fingerprints near Devin's body. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to ask you, have you ever heard of the, of the Reed interrogation technique? I don't guess I have. Okay. This is very important, too, because this is the technique that Chief Vaughn used against Anthony. It's basically a manipulative interrogation technique designed to elicit confessions. These techniques, called the John Reed technique, or uh, there was another one called the Glenn Foster. Uh, both of them were named after their the creators. creators. Yep, are to be used only when police feel certain that a suspect is guilty and have independent evidence of guilt, which they didn't have. They had none. So I'm going to talk to you real quick. I'm going to read you a little bit about this. The read technique consists of three phases. Process. Uh, uh, it's a three-phase process beginning with fact analysis, followed by the behavior analysis interview, followed when appropriate by the read nine steps of interrogation. According to process guidelines, individuals should be interrogated only when the information developed from the interview and investigation indicate that the suspect is involved in the commission of the crime. Now, the nine steps, positive confrontation. You advise the suspect that the evidence has led the police to the individual as a suspect. Offer the person an early opportunity to explain why the offense took place. Number two. Try to shift the blame away from the suspect to some other person or set of circumstances that prompted the suspect to commit the crime. Number three, try to minimize the frequency of suspect denials. Number four, at this point, the accused will often give a reason why he or she did not or could not commit the crime. Try to use this to move towards the acknowledgement of what they did. Number five, reinforce sincerity to ensure that the suspect is receptive. Number six, the suspect will become quieter and listen. Move the theme of the discussion toward offering alternatives. If the suspect cries at this point, infer guilt. Number seven, pose the alternative question, giving two choices for what happened, one more socially acceptable than the other. The suspect is expected to choose the easier option, but whichever alternative the suspect chooses, guilt is admitted. Number eight, lead the suspect to repeat the admission of guilt in front of witnesses and develop corroborating information to establish the validity of the confession. So now at this point, they've already got him confessing. Number nine, document the suspect's admission or confession and and have him or her prepare a recorded statement, audio, video, or written. So, this kind of sounds like something you would use with a suspect that's playing mind games with you. Yeah. Not a 12-year-old. Right. But all through this, it's the beginning of that. If you, if you kind of listened, 
it's the beginning. You try to minimize the frequency of suspect denial. So they're, you know, deny, deny, deny. And then you're trying to minimize that. Like, how do you do say, that? And you're still trying to push them to be, well, we have evidence that says this, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Yeah, and it kind of sounded like when you started out with it, it kind of said that, you know, you have the evidence. You pretty much exactly. know that yes. they did it. You only use this technique when you have other evidence. Right, to back okay. up with your what you're saying. Critics of this technique claim that the technique too easily produces false confessions, especially with second language speakers in their non-native language, with people whose communication slash language abilities are affected by mental disabilities, including reduced intellectual capacity, and especially with juveniles. I can see that for all of that. While this criticism acknowledges that the technique can be effective, quote, in producing confessions, it is not accurate at getting guilty parties to confess. Instead, sweeping up people pushed to their mental limits by stress. Of the 311 people exonerated through post-conviction DNA testing, more than a quarter had given false confessions. Mm. Now, there was a study done, and this is very interesting, okay? There was a study done on false confessions, and it was, uh, and I'll, I'll have to link this in the, in the show notes uh, to this study, okay? But basically, somebody, there, was a, there was somebody that was studying the frequency of false confessions out there, and what they did is they took a certain number, number of people, and they would put them in a room, kind of like an interrogation room, and they would have them typing, you know, doing a typing type test, mm -hmm. okay? So what they did is they told all of the participants to, you know, do the typing as they were instructed to do, but do not, by any means, do not hit the alt key, okay? That was the, the instructions. So... They turned these people loose. They started doing the typing and things, and they were given the instructions, type this, type this, type this. And then all of a sudden, the test came to a halt, and the people that were participating would be approached, and they would say, you hit the alt key. Most of them initially denied it and said, no, I didn't, and they denied it again. And then when they were given a false witness to this and said, Yes, I witnessed you doing this on camera. They confessed to doing it, even though they did not do it. So you can be coerced into saying that you did something, even if, you, if your mind even tells you you didn't do it and your physical body knows it didn't do it. When you're given a witness that says, I saw you do this on camera, most of the time you're going to agree. Well, that's kind of uh, simple, though, because I can see in that instance where I, I would probably be like, oh, shit, well, maybe I did hit the alt exactly. key and didn't see? realize it, but, but if you're I would specific, know yes. that I ain't committing no damn murder. Well, that's true. I mean, that's and, different. Yeah, that's completely different. But yeah. even something as small as don't hit the alt key, if you're doing this typing, you're going to have it in the back of your mind. 
I don't need to hit that alt key. I don't need to hit that alt key. And you know for a fact you did not hit it. Right. Would you stick to your guns and say, no, I didn't? See, I don't know See, if I was in that situation. If you I don't know, know pretty, for a fact you did not do something. Well, I'm pretty good at typing, so. You do. I, you are. I, yeah. I think I probably would be like, uh, no, the fuck I didn't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If you know you didn't do it, why would you confess to doing it? Even if somebody says, no, I saw you do it. It's, no, you didn't. That probably really works on people that are easily uh, coerced. Weak-minded? Yeah. I don't know. So, again, yeah, just a study out there. Back to the confession. I'm going to read that first sentence again. After making some small talk, Vaughn suggested to Anthony that the police had evidence linking him to Devin's murder, such as finding Devin's blood on his clothes and his footprints. I, I said earlier, fingerprints. It's footprints near Devin's body. Now, do you remember I said in that in the whole read technique thing, mm-hmm. you have to have evidence that says that this person is guilty. But wait, 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 uh, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> yeah. I want to throw something out real quick, and okay. I might be jumping ahead. Okay, Devin's mother says she saw Anthony coming from the woods. Correct. Okay, so they're assuming that he was coming from that location. However, during the search, the searcher said they searched that area. The body was not there. So, therefore, he was not coming from said body. You are jumping ahead. You're right. Okay, I'll stop. No, no, no. It's fine. It's (laughs) fine. But I also want to point something out. They said that he had Devin's blood on his clothes. That was not true. I was fixing to say... I mean, he literally was seen by Devin's mother. Right. She would have noticed. Now, one of the things that I want to point out, and we're going to hit on this later on, okay? I told you that Devin had been stabbed in the neck seven times, and her carotid artery was severed. Mm -hmm. What happens when your carotid artery is severed? You bleed a lot. And there's no blood on Anthony at all that's true because i mean i would would think with every pump a beat of her heart i mean it would be sprained and if her body was moved you would get that all over you and you would see like if it was drugged from another location you would see a blood trail right (gasps) she wasn't even killed in the woods oh my god see now you're seeing where i'm going here anthony denied that he had done anything wrong uh but vaughn according to the transcript, kept pressing. Mm. You're sorry you did this, aren't you? You didn't mean to kill her, did you? Anthony replies with, I didn't kill her. Vaughn threatened that if Anthony didn't confess, he would have to do a voice stress test. Now, a voice uh, stress test is a technique that could tell whether he was lying. And this is how he's explaining it to Anthony and stuff. Um, but is it admissible, kind of like a polygraph isn't admissible? That's correct. So it's, it's actually the polygraph for for uh, minors, mm-hmm. basically. Because they can't give a polygraph to a minor, so they call it a, this a voice stress test. Every time I think, I mean, obviously I've never done anything to have to take a polygraph, but every time I think about it, I automatically get anxious, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to fail, even though... Yeah, but... I ain't did nothing wrong. <laughs> even going into it, they 
establish your baseline. Right. And even if you go into it nervous, they, that baseline is shown right there. Mm-hmm. But when you're asked questions and you lie, your whole the whole line changes when you lie. And so, yes, has there been people that beat it? Yes, you can beat it, but it's very difficult to do, to do that. You have to know when you lie on a on a polygraph, you have to know in your head that the lie that you're telling is true. I imagine probably probably most psychopaths are probably really good at Which, polygraphs. Yeah, you're probably right. Oh, I probably so, am. You probably are a psychopath. <laughs> okay. Oh, what? What? Huh? I'm sorry. What? Okay. As fun. <laughs> <laughs> is explaining this uh, voice stress test technique. He explains that the technique could tell whether he was lying or not, and then he would be stuck with the results in court. Hmm. So he basically just lied. And saying that it would be admissible yes, in court. He just lied to him. Why was he lying to that kid? You know you did this crime, is what he says. Vaughn told that little boy that little 12 year old boy you know you did this crime suggesting that he understood why he might be angry enough to kill Devin. a lot of african americans got a lot of hate built up over the years <gasps> he's african american and little Devin is white is a blonde haired blue eyed oh, white girl gosh in a predominantly white neighborhood oh no now I wasn't going to bring that up because it really doesn't matter. But Vaughn is heard saying this on tape. If you remember, the read technique established a reason why. Oh, so now it's because... Now it's because he's black. And she was white. And she was white. Oh, my God. That is bullshit. Utter bullshit. After Anthony repeatedly denied harming Devin... The boy finally relented. Oh. You stabbed her in the throat, didn't you, Anthony? He just fucking said how she was killed. Yeah. You stabbed her in the throat, didn't you, Anthony? You did, didn't you, Anthony? Yes. Do you know how many times you stabbed her? No. More more than once? Five or six times? No. Once or twice? Probably twice, he says. Oh, my gosh. Those are so leading. And now I can I see why yeah. he probably confessed. Right. Because they threw out the whole African-American thing. And the poor kid is probably thinking, yeah, they threw that out. So, therefore, nobody's going to believe me because she's a little white girl. Exactly. Oh, that's horrible. After 80 minutes of all of this, Vaughn asked Anthony to write down his statement. And basically, he's getting ready to, you know, do the final step there mm-hmm. on that read technique and get him to write it down and sign it. That's when Anthony asked to see his mother. Yeah. So. They knew what they were doing when his mother could not listen in. Mm-hmm. To me, that should be thrown out, being that she couldn't listen in. That's my opinion, but I'm not a lawyer. Right. So, as Anthony's mother uh, walked in. It was Chief Vaughn that started to tell her about the Anthony confession. And Anthony stopped him, and he said, no, 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 wait, I'll tell her that if I did it. 
I would have done it, but I didn't do it. But I said I did it. Mm-hmm. Now, this boy is clearly confused. Right. I mean, he he is, you know, he can't even he can't even tell his mother, you know, all he can say is I didn't do it. And she says, "Why did you say that you did it?" And he said, "Because I was just scared." I was fixing to say, could you imagine how terrified he was yeah. knowing that he didn't do it, but right. they're sitting there questioning him and right. basically saying, oh, yeah, you did it. Yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. I mean, he he's taking this scared little boy, right? and he has pretty much told him oh, yeah, you did how it, it was done mm-hmm. and, and said, I know you did this, told him how it was done, and then knowing that this little girl was stabbed in the neck seven times and Anthony only says twice. I mean, right. Really? And you decided to move forward with this shit. Are you kidding me? Douchebag. So he literally was pleading with the judge. He says, look, this is what, you know, this is the confession that you made admissible. This is, this mm-hmm. now there was some other things that the defense brought up donna winger nancy ne oh uh, man i'm gonna butcher this and i'm sorry nancy niarcos and jim milliken all said that they searched by the area where devon's body was found and did not see her they said they believed her body was dropped at the spot later winger niarcos and milliken each testified as witnesses during the trial they said well there's a 2020 episode that i'm going to link in the show notes Mm -hmm. and and that really you see the interview with these witnesses here they all said on the 2020 episode that they had all seen a suspicious man lurking around the area during the search Niarco said Devin was found shortly after she saw the suspicious man mm-hmm. all three said he was wearing a gray flannel shirt buttoned at the collar and the cuffs in June either he had scratches on him from fighting her or maybe he was trying to keep from getting any DNA on himself probably yeah so Niarco says I thought my god is that guy ever creepy he was so suspicious looking and he was right there i thought what is he doing here right really all Mm -hmm. three of them testified as witnesses they all three said this in court all three of them now the suspects uh, other suspects let's talk about them i mean did they they really even look at any well some of these were brought up and and I'll just go ahead and tell you right at the beginning, um, none of these were followed up on by police. Of course not. Yeah. Devin's mother had allegedly called a suicide hotline not long before the murder, and she said she was considering harming herself and her children. I mean... Okay, so if she would have done it, then why wouldn't she wait till everybody was completely done with searching the area before she put the body out there? Well, that's true. Yeah. 
But the thing is, that's not worth looking into. Oh, yeah, definitely worth looking into. You see what I'm saying? Right, but I don't think it's her. Devin's biological father. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, he had a history of domestic violence and was in a dispute with her mother at the time of the murder. Oh. So, So really? He could have done it to get back at the mother. He was asked... Uh, by his by Devin's mother, you know, can you come help look? And his excuse for not coming and looking was he had had too much to drink that night and couldn't drive. He didn't even come help look for his child? No. Well, that's a red flag. Yeah. But again, is that not worth looking into? Because, I mean, bitch, you should have sobered up really quickly no knowing shit. your child was missing. I'm going to tell you something else. If I... I could be a 12-pack deep, and my ass would be driving over there that or, find one, a, or find a cab or an Uber right. or something. I don't so, think they had Uber back then. But well, maybe not. He could have called a cab. Cab, yeah. You know. Devin's mother's boyfriend, Lori's boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, had allegedly kidnapped Devin for three days the year prior and was mandated to stay away from her. Oh. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? And this was not even looked into. That 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 honestly should have been the first now, I to keep, look into. I keep I say that that wasn't looked into. He was able to provide an alibi. And literally police were like, Yeah, he's not a suspect. Mm-hmm. Really? But did they like investigate his alibi? Like check out his alibi to see if it checked out i mean you know they they basically said that he wasn't a suspect anymore really devin's brother described by neighbors as violent oh and had been accused of stabbing a cat oh had violent tendencies in kindergarten to his classmates as reported by his teacher oh a trained search dog following Devin's scent, led investigators toward the home of a convicted child molester who had recently been released from prison. The fuck? Like, even if he didn't do it, why was her scent traced to his house? It's They said it led right up to the garage door. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. Now, he was given a polygraph test, and he passed it. So he was ruled out as a suspect. Mm. I mean, really? And they want to focus on a 12-year-old boy because, basically because he was black. I mean, if, honestly, this is, and this is my opinion. I'm not know, saying that's why they did I it. I know. But my opinion is that's why they focused on him. Yeah. <laughs> He was seen coming out. He didn't have any DNA evidence on him. By the way, they did, you know, they could have ruled him out in so many different ways. Right. And they just didn't. They just did not do the investigation work that they needed to do. Mm -hmm. And then there's the guy with the flannel shirt. That really. Yeah, who was this Yeah, nobody knows who the fuck he was. He was just there. But he was seen, he was very odd in the flannel shirt, and it's like, okay, you know, 
he's going through the woods. Maybe he's allergic to poison ivy. That's why he's got all his shit buttoned up. I don't know. But, I mean, you could do that with a thinner shirt. Yeah, because my mind automatically would have went to, oh, yeah, he's up to no good. You would think? Yeah. Yeah. So despite all of these things that they say that they have against Anthony and the fact that nobody's done any fucking police work whatsoever, uh, at the end of this six-week trial on March 10th, 1999, Judge Kate found Anthony guilty. Oh, no. Now, she comes into court. I knew that bitch was going to find him guilty. Well, (laughs) this is going to really blow your mind. Um. A week later, she gave him a maximum sentence for a juvenile incarceration until he turned 21. Now, he's 13 at the time of his conviction. Yeah. Now, her statement to him, and I'm, I'm not going to say the whole statement, but one of the things that jumps out to me, and you can hear this on tape in the 2020 uh, episode, I am not sure, and there's a long pause, what, another pause, Male- I can't even say it the way that she said. Malevolence filled your soul. Malevolence. That's what she said. You can hear this shit on tape. Malevolence. The judge then appeared to show Anthony a photograph of Devin's body, according to the Ak- the Akron Beacon Journal. Okay, mm-hmm. this is what you left behind in your wake. This is a fucking judge showing a 13-year-old who said many times, I didn't do this. Right. Okay. The judge then asked Anthony if he had anything to say. He said, yes, Your Honor, I did not commit this crime. No. Now, he sentenced to, in essence, seven years yeah. to be you know, locked up. Now, at the, at the end of that, there's no telling what the fuck happens but as you know when prisoners go to prison for you know assault against a child you know what happens to those prisoners this is a child that's fixing to have to live through this shit you're basically creating a monster by sentencing him to this shit right and then when he gets out he's gonna be an even more monster yeah if he's a monster to begin with you're creating him if he's not, during the initial trial, Hale had done everything. He knew. He knew what was coming. Right. He knew this was coming. He knew this wasn't going his way. So basically what he was, what he started to do was he started to object, object to everything that he could legitimately. He started to legitimately reject every motion that he uh, brought up in the trial was rejected. And so he knew he knew where this was going. Mm-hmm. So he started to object to everything that he could. They were never going to be able to prove, you know, that he that that Anthony did not have good representation, right? Because he knew what was coming, and he knew what he was going to do. They were going to appeal, and so that's what they did. So during the trial, he was basically getting it set, set up, up to, to where appeal. He, yeah, okay, that's right. But he knew that he wasn't going to be able to do this by himself. Right. And so enter Daniel, Dan, Warren, and Jeff Mearns. Uh, they were basically friends. They were law partners, litigation partners. Uh, both men were interested in social justice uh, issues. Mm-hmm. 
but they approached them from different perspectives, Mm -hmm. basically. Warren had immersed himself in pro bono criminal cases throughout his career, which had started at Jenner and Block in Chicago. Mearns was a former federal prosecutor who had helped convict Oklahoma City bomber Terry Nichols. Oh, okay. With the help of Northwestern Law School's Center of Wrongful Convictions, Anthony's plight was brought to their attention, and they agreed to handle the boy's appeal. Hale was thrilled. When he took them to meet the boy in detention, Hale started crying. I really think we found lawyers who can help you, Hale told the boy. I just want to say before we move on, Hale, Taryn Hale, you did help him. I just want to say that. You gave him what little hope that he had, and you kept this door open by preparing what's fixing to happen. Could you imagine how he felt? During that six-week trial, every night when he went home, knowing, knowing. how it was going to turn yeah. out. Yep. Oh, I know. Bless him. Hale did everything that he could. So Warren and Mearns examined the records that uh, from the trial and everything. They saw every bit of evidence. They also had one strong fact in their favor. Anthony's confession had been taped. Cases like this uh, can come down to swearing, basically a swearing match between a child and a police officer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, the child is not going to win that. If it it comes down to that and the the tape shows that there was arguments between the officer and the child, the the child's never going to win. Now, but there uh, wasn't, were there? No, there wasn't. This was a very, uh, it was very kind of subdued. Right. You know, I heard some of the, some of the tape, you know. And with as leading as it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of their strongest tactical decisions involved the prosecutor spies. Mm -hmm. The spies claimed that Anthony's confession contained details that only the killer would know. Because it was fed to him. Warren and Mearns scoured the record and couldn't find anything in the confession fitting that description. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) They took a chance and called Spies Bluff. In our brief, we literally challenged the prosecution to identify even one statement that only the killer could have known. Mearns recalls, we debated a long time If we miss something, we're sunk. Their appeal, filed in November of 1999 with Ohio's 5th Appellant District, accused Judge Kate of prejudging Anthony's guilt and erring by not suppressing the confession. I agree with that. It also maintained that the evidence was insufficient to support a conviction. Their gamble worked. The prosecution couldn't cite one fact given by Anthony that only the killer would know. That's awesome. Which I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So the appellant court held the argument, the oral argument in March of 2000 in New Philadelphia in the same courthouse where Anthony had been tried. A lottery was held for seats in the gallery. Oh, wow. Kind of, kind of sounds like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Right? 
shit. Uh, Taryn Hale and Cynthia Harris sat together. Lori Dunover was also present. During the two-and-a-half-hour hearing, the judges asked a lot of questions and seemed engaged. Warren was encouraged. I walked out of there feeling very good about our chances. Three months later, on June the 7th of 2000, in an opinion written by Judge John Wise, the court unanimously overturned Judge Kate's decision. Awesome. The police had violated Anthony's Fifth Amendment rights. He had been in custody. The Miranda warning was improper, and the confession had been coerced. Awesome. To the defense team's disappointment, the court didn't address the sufficiency of the evidence used to convict Anthony. If the court had found it insufficient, spies would have been barred from retrying the case. The court remanded the case to Judge Kate. Hale, Mearns, and Warren drove to the detention center to tell Anthony. He had a huge grin, Hale recalls. He could not believe it. The next day, when Anthony was released, Spies announced at a press conference that she planned to retry him. Bitch. Frankly, in my heart and in my gut, I feel that Anthony is responsible for the murder of Devin Dunover. She says this publicly. Mm. That night, Anthony sat on his porch at his home and looked at the stars, which he had not seen for a long time. Despite her pledge, spies didn't immediately recharge Anthony. Without the confession, she had no case. With the criminal case seemingly behind them, Warren and Mearns thought about taking the battle in a different direction. They talked to Anthony and his mother about filing a wrongful prosecution civil lawsuit. Initially, the family declined, wanting to put these terrible events behind them. In early 2003, Warren checked with them again. They decided to sue. Heck yeah. Now, there was a huge hurdle that they had to get over. As you know, that police are basically, for in, in wrongful prosecution, the police are actually immune to being sued. But more they importantly, could sue or you're more importantly, the prosecutors have ultimate immunity. So what they had to do is they actually had to go to the U.S. Supreme Court mm-hmm. to basically remove immunity. I didn't even know that could be done. Well, it, it it's never been done. Actually, it it has been done. Because I was I. I know I'm probably jumping. I'm thinking, <laughs> haven't police yeah. now been, hasn't that immunity been removed from them? In recently? certain cases. In certain, okay. there, there has to be certain circumstances that right. arise. But the police have qualified immunity. The prosecutors have ultimate immunity. So there's, there's different things that can happen there with police, but the prosecutors cannot be sued. Now, that's kind of weird to me, you know? Because yeah. it's the it's the police that get the evidence right. that give to the prosecutor, so that's why the prosecutor has ultimate immunity. But yeah, the, but they also had the ultimate decision on yeah, we're going to try this. Well, yeah, or, 
That's right. Yeah. The police so don't have that. They decision. have the evidence. They right. have the burden of proving or, or getting the evidence, and the prosecutor has the burden of proving the evidence. Right. Basically. So to develop their argument that the police actions weren't reasonable, the Baker and Hostetler team hired a former agent now, Baker and Hostetler, to, to develop their argument. They hired a former agent from the FBI mm-hmm. to examine the criminal investigation to get around spies absolute immunity they focused on actions that arguably fell outside of her prosecutorial duties mm-hmm. such as instructing officer urban to arrest anthony basically based on just the tape confession mm-hmm. they also believed they had a defamation claim for her heart and gut comment after Anthony was released. I was fixing to say, I was like, Ugh, I don't know whether, they, <laughs> you know, they could really say that. Yeah. But Right? So, uh, because basically you're tainting potential jurors right. at that point. And even if you yeah. did go back, I mean, they would have had to have found a different venue to have it in. Yeah, that's true. Because everybody would have been biased. Well, this was probably a national uh, uh, you know, news outlet. You right. know, so she's tainting the national news. What an idiot. I know. After going through 27 drafts of the complaint, they filed it in August of 2003 in federal district court in Akron, Ohio. They accused the defendants, Spies, Urban, Vaughn, and New Philadelphia Police Chief Thomas Staggers, um, the site, the city's of New Philadelphia and Millersburg and the Tuscarawas County of eviscerating Anthony's constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. They also included state law claims for malicious prosecution and defamation. The case was assigned to federal district judge John Adams, a former local prosecutor and common pleas judge who had been appointed to the bench just that year before by President George Bush. Okay. So, Anthony managed to resume the semblance of a normal life after he was released from incarceration. He started high school in Canton, Ohio, Mm -hmm. played on the football team, and graduated on time. Yay, good for him. Now, I just want to say that a few months after you know all of that bullshit the depositions and the stuff were taken before i go on with with anthony's getting on with his life a few months after the depositions which bear deficiencies in uh, the police investigation the law team reached a settlement with officers urban vaughn and staggers and the cities of new philadelphia and millersburg Mm-hmm. In February of 2005, their insurers agreed to pay $1.5 million wow. to Anthony and his mother. Mm-hmm. For Warren and Mearns, the money wasn't enough. They wanted an apology. Oh, yeah. The Definitely. three, Yeah. The three officers signed a letter to Anthony stating, We regret that you were wrongfully convicted of this crime. We apologize to you and your family for the events that led to your conviction. Spies refused to settle. Mm. 
So back to Anthony's getting on with his life. He played football. Uh, he played on the football team and graduated on time. He then uh, set his sights on becoming a Marine. <gasps> Good for him. In January of 2004, now this was before the suit, the, uh, the, the suit is settled, okay? Mm-hmm. In January of 2004, Anthony applied to join the U.S. Marine Corps and disclosed his wrongful conviction. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, oh he no. has to disclose that information. Um, a recruiter came to New Philadelphia to get his juvenile court uh, record. Oh, no. When spies learned why the recruiter was there, she exclaimed to him, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Direct quote. No, you've got to be fucking kidding me, you salty-ass bitch. And this is a, a direct according to the recruiter. Oh, That's exactly what she said. That bitch. The prosecutor told the recruiter that Anthony would always be a suspect in Devin's murder. <gasps> the Marines rejected Anthony's oh, application. No. In June of 2004, uh, the, law, the law firm of Baker and Hostetler amended the complaint to sue spies for those comments, charging her with defamation and tortious interference with business relations. Yeah. They also later added claims alleging that spies had committed Brady violations by withholding exculpatory evidence. Although spies had absolute immunity from Brady claims, her employer, the county, didn't. Ooh. In one example, Spies' notes from her files said that Devin's blood would have been splurting like crazy That's in what quotes, I said. during her killing. At the trial, Spies had maintained that Anthony didn't have any visible blood on him because Devin wouldn't have bled much. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? I was going to say, uh, yes, she would have. Are you fucking kidding me? When this is over, I'm going to have to look up a picture of that bitch because she has won the Pineapple Award for today. <laughs> it needs to be shoved up her ass when she's in hell. At the end of this whole thing, the civil suit against spies dragged on. In May of 2006, the Baker and Hostetler team suffered its first big setback uh-huh. ruling on a summary judgment motion. Judge Adams dismissed with prejudice all the claims against the prosecutor, noting that Anthony's confession gave gave her probable cause to have him arrested. The head of Baker and Hostetler's appellate practice, Thomas Warren, no relation to Dan Warren, helped brief the appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, Mearns had left the firm to become dean of the college marshal, you know. Mm-hmm. A year and a half later, in January of 2008, the Sixth Circuit reversed. In a two-to-one decision, it reinstated most of the claims against spies. Uh, Judge Karen Nelson Moore, writing for the majority, stated that, quote, any reasonable prosecutor would have known after listening to the tape of the confession, that it was involuntary as a matter of law. I mean, damn, even me and you said that. Right? (laughs) In late September 2008, with Spy's trial just a few weeks away, 
finally, after 10 years, the legal saga that began with Devin Donover's death ended. The case against Spies and her employer, Tuscarawas County, settled for $2.2 million, bringing the recovery overall to $3.7 million to Anthony Harris and his mother. Wow. Warren could not extract an apology from the prosecutor. She's a bitch. The settlement came at a bad time, though, for spies, as it was re-election year. <gasps> oh, did she get re-elected? <laughs> I hope she didn't. She was challenged by a former public defender. After the Times reporter backed her opponent, she was voted out of office awesome. by a significant margin. That's awesome. So, um, even after all of the suspects that were brought forth and stuff, they, they could not find any other evidence on this or even to who this guy was that was wearing the flannel shirt. So, they've never found who did it. The case of Devin Dunover is still unsolved to this day. That's horrible. Now, even to this day, Anthony Harris actively works on helping find who actually killed Devin Donover. He that, is actually helping. That's awesome. With this. he It is. It is very awesome of him. Because, I mean, he could just as easily be salty about w it. And wash be his like, hands of it and walk right. away from it. No. I mean, obviously, that would bring up, to me, would bring up bad memories and right. stuff for him. I mean, his life for a while was ruined. Yeah, it was. He spent two years incarcerated and then he wanted to go and serve our country yep and then that bitch had yep. to open her mouth right bitch he was gonna go fight for your freedom she didn't give a shit she <sighs> was just protecting her reputation and she looks like a piece of shit now so that is the story of anthony harris and devin dunover and i am so sorry that the case of devin dunover is still unsolved i know it sucks. It really does. But, I mean, I do want them to find whoever it was, whoever this person was that had the flannel shirt on. I mean, he could have been a serial killer, and he, it could have killed somebody else. I was going to say, if they would have focused on not just him, but the other people that could have been suspects. They saw his car. I mean. These people saw his car. Right. If they and, would have focused on that, yeah. I mean, they probably could have. Yeah, they probably could solved have. Solved it. Yep. But so, they wasted time. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. They wasted a lot of resources. By the way, the law offices that did his appeal, mm -hmm. they did it pro bono. That's awesome. Now, they did end up taking a fee. Uh, it was an administrative fee thing, uh, and they gladly paid it and stuff. But and they never did disclose how much that fee was. But which is I really mean, nobody's business. They did estimate that they, you know, they're if they were not doing this as pro bono, they had racked up roughly between two and three million dollars oh, worth of fees. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, kudos to them. I mean, I I would have gladly paid them that administrative fee. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's really hard to do a l that much work for free. 
Yeah, because that's not easy. No, it's not. Not when it comes to like appealing and right. all that. Yeah. That's not an easy process. There's a lot more investigation that goes yeah. into that, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot more time and stuff and going to the Supreme Court and stuff. I mean, right. it is expensive. Yeah. So kudos to them yeah. for doing that and, and stuff. Uh, I mean, I hate that it happened to Anthony the way that it did. Yeah. You hear the tape. I, I heard several pieces of it. He was coerced. Yeah. I, I don't care what anybody says. Come at me if you want to. He was coerced. So he was given information that nobody would have known. Right. And even when he was given the opportunity to say how many times that, that he stabbed her, he it was wrong. It, right. it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You, as a chief of police, should have stopped it at that moment and said something's not right here. Right. Sorry, but Mm-mm. now, uh, I mean, getting through that, it was tough. There was so much information. I'm sorry that I kind of bumbled here and there. It's um, okay. I, I thought I had it all in order in the paperwork and stuff, and I didn't. It was got kind of got messed up. But anyway. Well, I am so glad that it worked out for Anthony. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, we still have a mother out there yeah. who doesn't know yeah, and that's what I wanted to kind of end this on. Yeah. It, it It's great for Anthony that yes. he got his, his life back and he was able to live his life and, and things like this. Which it never should have been taken from him anyway. True, but it does not take away from the fact that Lori Dunover has lost her child. Right. Has lost Devin, five-year-old Devin Dunover, and that her killer is still out there. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now... You know, anything that we can do, spread the word. This has been years. This was 20-something years ago, 1998, Mm -hmm. that this happened. And so, you know, the likelihood of finding this person and stuff like this without without some DNA or something like that or fingerprints or whatever. smaller and smaller. Absolutely. So I I hope that they, they can find some resolution to this at some point. Um, I hope that that Miss Dunover was able to, I hope that she was able to forgive Anthony mm-hmm. for something that he didn't do. Right. That was proven that he couldn't have done it. So, you know, it is mm. what it is. Devin Dunover is still murdered. Yeah. Her killer is still out there. And has probably done it again. And our thoughts and prayers are with her family. Yeah. So, I hope that you guys are able to find some closure eventually yeah so stay tuned uh we have some other episodes that we're working on jamie is working on her next case mm-hmm. and she is almost there we're going to be recording it very soon uh-huh. so stay tuned for that and uh, we'll get those uploaded as soon as possible i'm paul and i'm jamie and please join us next time and remember to stay disturbed bye bye, bye.